Welcome to episode three of R plus J equals podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gatula. How's it going, everybody? And with me today, of course, is my lovely wife, my co-host, Regina Gatula. Hello. She always says the same thing. Her intro is also always just the Why same. Why would you ask how you're doing? Are you expecting someone to talk back to you? I'm asking how you're doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways, so we're here to discuss episode three of season seven of Game of Thrones, which was titled The Queen's Justice. It was quite the episode. It was quite the episode. A lot of people were reunited. A lot of justice dealt out. A lot of families reunited. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is discuss three of the top main points of the episode, the three biggest events. And then alongside that, we're going to answer a ton of questions. We thank you guys so much for your huge response. I believe we got like 20 plus questions so we're going to cover a lot of the topics from the show on during those questions as well so let's get started okay the first event that we wanted to discuss is the big one the episode started off with john and danny finally meeting aunt and nephew reuniting but they don't know that they're aunt and nephew and nobody knows except Except us omnipresent audience. <laughs> and the omnipresent person that's on the show as well. Uh, but we'll get to him later. Um, one thing I quickly wanted to note. Before they actually met up, uh, we, we see John and Davos walking into Dragonstone. And Davos is very surprised. He's like, oh man, look at this place. Look at these people. And he talks a lot to Missandei. Yeah, and at he, first... Yeah. I was thinking about, is he hitting on her? Yeah, he's like flirting on her, uh, flirting with her. But then you realize that Davos is just racist. Yeah, plain racist. He's like, <laughs> talk to her and he's like, this place has changed. He's like, I've never heard your accent before. Where are you from? I know, totally and then, racist. And then on the side, he's like, oh, John, there's like this this weird looking chick here. This place has changed. Yeah. So we all thought Davos was such a great man, but no, apparently he's a racist. Anyways, <laughs> not really. We all love Davos. Uh, the other thing we wanted to point out was the not-so-subtle hint at John's parentage with the the huge dragons flying in, yes. right as he says, I'm not a stalk. Yes, that was, that was so on purpose and intentional. A little bit on the nose. But I liked it. Yeah, it's cool. So let's get to the actual encounter. It was quite the moment. Seeing these two finally face-to-face talking to each other, verbally sparring one of the funniest parts of the episode and one of the funniest things in a while on game of thrones was the titles right <laughs> yes danny's titles she's stormborn unburned breaker of chains khaleesi all, of the great grad sea all these annoying, queen of the first man and dolls all of that jazz yeah i always thought her title was really long but she did accomplish a lot i mean i feel like she wants to keep adding and adding to these <laughs> i feel bad does masende have to practice that every single night or before every big encounter meeting she has to like go over in her head well i mean, I mean she has it down i mean she has one job <laughs> yeah i guess she does <laughs> um and then john has his one title <laughs> the bastard this, this oh the- wait no the king of the north <laughs> wow <laughs> harsh um, yeah, the king in the north. That was hilarious. But, yeah. I legit laughed out loud. All of their facial expressions during that scene. John, John was just like, uh, <laughs> what you got, Davos? King of the north? Like, All right, let's roll with it. Yeah. So let's get to the actual kind of argument or discussion they had. It was really cool. Let's talk about who you think won this argument. So... I think John won this argument because at the very end of the day, he essentially gets what he wants without having to bend the knee. That's exactly what he came out. He wanted the dragon glass. He didn't want to bend the knee. And he essentially got her to agree to do that. It was through Tyrion's um, influence on Danny, making sure that he let her know that John is not crazy and has credibility and isn't a liar. But John didn't end up bending the knees. So he essentially won the overall conversation. I don't see any other way of putting it. Yeah, 
Basically, he had everything to lose going there. He could, he knew that there were dragons there. He knew that there were going to be Dothraki there. Danny could have easily killed him, but he didn't bend the knee anyways. So he had everything to lose, and she didn't end up killing him. So I say that's also a win. Um, third, he basically established like his credibility, like I said before. Yeah, he, do- he doesn't have the Stark name. He's a bastard. But he proved himself through his reputation. I don't think he proved anything, honestly. I think the way he won was through Tyrion. He didn't really present a good case for himself. He's just like, hey, the Night King's there. But that's the whole point. He acknowledges later in the episode that he knows that he sounds crazy. He knows that he doesn't have proof. But how does that... But he still won. He still got the dragon. He's... He still had her agree to giving her the dragon glass. How, how is that not a win-win situation? I think you're changing the rules. I think the question is, who run, who won that actual confrontation? Totally, John, because I agree. Danny made some good points, but John basically was like, I don't know who you are. Why should I even trust you? Daenerys' whole mantra is making sure that people follow her out of choice. She doesn't ever, like, look at the Dothraki, look at the Unsullied. She knows that she needs to come to Westeros and win over the people, especially the Northerners who are so far off from the battle with Cersei. She knows that she can't force Jon to bend the knee. She knows that she has to win him over. So she knows that her asking him to bend the knee, well, he's like, well, who the hell are you? I don't know you. I just know that your king burned my grandfather, burned my uncle. He didn't mention how his, quote, aunt was kidnapped by her brother. But yeah, I think Daenerys totally lost in that argument. I disagree. And it's not really that Jon lost the argument. I just feel like his logic was completely off. How was his logic completely off? He had totally had a point. Why should he trust her? But it's so simple. All you need is the dragon glass, right? He, he wasn't sure that Tyrion was going to broker this piece. In the actual discussion, he should have just been like, fine, I'll bend the knee. Just give me the dragon glass, and then I'll go fight off the White Walkers. Then I'll come help, help you with the war. But he's, that's not very kingly. He's king in the north. People chose him. It's not very kingly if he um, bends the knee to another queen. But he's an open it, rebellion it, as is. He's going to train his people. But he's going to be an open rebellion as is doing what he's doing right now. Why not just say, oh, sure, why not? And just lie to Daenerys and then go back up and say, look, I got this dragon glass. Let's fucking go rebel again. Well, you think Jon Snow is going to lie? He's, he has stark blood in him. It's all about honor. Yeah, but he, but don't you, he took don't the hard way towards this dragon glass, and he didn't even win it for himself. Tyrion won it for him. I mean, I think that doesn't mean that he didn't want, just because Tyrion trusts him doesn't mean that he didn't win. He did win. So he, just, won, he won because he got what he came out to get. He's not, it's not over yet, though. He hasn't gotten to leave. But he got her to agree to it. That was but the whole he, goal of the conversation. But he didn't get her to agree. Tyrion's like, oh, give it to him because you don't care about the dragon glass anyway. But in the end of the day, Jon won because of his, in- because Tyrion trusts him. Fine, I guess. Daenerys totally just, lost out on that. I whole, just think that. What does Daenerys get? She just has to, I guess she's moving towards a more productive relationship, relationship with yeah. him. Again, that goes back to she has to prove herself to him. She has to win him over. I just felt that. And John didn't have to bend the knee. He ended up getting the dragon glass at the very end. Yes, you know, he was kind of treated as a prisoner towards the end of that conversation. But she even said herself that he wasn't a prisoner. So I think with no proof, with a bastard name, and not bending the knee, he won the conversation, he won the meeting, he got the dragon glass. The way that John went about it wasn't necessary. I think he could have gotten the dragon glass in a much easier way, which is just like, fine, I'll bend the knee, I don't care. But then he's going to go back he to the North and say, hey, I bend the knee. No, then the Northerners are going to be like, wow, you're such a weak king. But Why should I follow you? He doesn't even care to be the king. Right, but what about his people, the people who chose him? Well, he They had, care that he's king. He has the dragon glass. But but half those people, yeah, he has a dragon glass, but then he's also like going to come off as a weak leader. Just because you have a dragon glass, you still need the people to follow him. He still needs the people to follow him. But he already him. gave the lead to Sansa. 
right, but like he's gonna come back and still be king of the north. He he gave it to her until he returns. But everybody already follows Sansa. Like the veil is until with Sansa. he comes back with whatever he needs to f- defeat the White Walkers. Yeah, I just I just don't see some of the Northerners coming back and him saying, "Yeah, guys, I had to bend the knee, but look, we had this dragon glass." They're gonna be like, "Whoa, okay, great, but you're such a weak leader. Why but should I follow that you?" That shows he hasn't. Why con- should I trust you? That shows that he hasn't convinced them, the rest of them, that the the, the true threat is no. There. They just know that. Well, yeah, because I think some of the people that are following him. Like he mentioned in the previous episode, they just don't understand. But they trust him enough to follow him and go to battle whenever the battle comes. But if he comes back and says that, oh, yeah, I bend the knee, so I'm not really king in the north. Oh, sorry. They'd be like, wow, he sucks. Where's Rob Stark at? I just don't get it. Like, for me, he went down in rebellion of the northerners, of all his bannermen, right? He told them... I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go down even though you think the Targaryens are wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to get the dragon glass. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to go back up there and say, hey, you guys didn't listen to me. Now you should listen to me because I have this dragon glass. How is that? Where's the logic Well, he there? won because he got the dragon glass. Yeah. And he, and he got, didn't get killed like but, the other But North. none of them believe, the only people who believe him are the wildlings. Like he still, he thinks having this dragon glass, oh, I didn't bend the knee, but I got this dragon glass. That's going to... Just he's lead. just going to come off more as a leader. He that, still needs to prove himself. He's going to come across more of a leader by doing something that nobody cared about. Like, every, he's the only one who cared about the Dragonglass, right? And Davos. Him and Davos. The, the Onion Knight that nobody in the North even knows. I don't right? get what you're trying to say, though. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that he went down there not to show his leadership. He went down there to do what he needed to do to get the Dragonglass, right? I agree. Right? Wait. So, right? That's what he was trying to do mm-hmm. down there to do. So why not take the easiest path? Because, and just say, fine, I don't care. But that's not who John is. Well, he doesn't want to be the king either. But he is the king. He's not going to, like I said, he's not going to betray his people. Some people still... But he already did betray them because he's like, they're all like, don't go down there. That's not betrayal, but saying that bending the knee to another king is betrayal. I guess it's semantics. We're at an impasse. It's fine. I'm just saying morals get you killed. All right. All right. So the next overall thing that happened that we all loved or was eventful enough to talk about was Euron Fest 2017. So this was a very entertaining scene for many reasons, specifically the conversation between Jamie and Euron. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. His facial expressions were on point. What he said to Jamie about how Cersei likes it and just a lot more inappropriate things. And then just Jamie's face. He had no comeback. Jamie, Jamie's reactions this Jamie, season. Jamie, season one through three, was always the quick-witted person. He always had the first comeback. He always knew what to say. It's like he, he met his match, well, essentially, been, and he's been silenced by this guy who is a lot more charismatic. He's wittier, has great comebacks. He's, so. been, he's been castrated not just by the show's writers, but by all these other characters now, too. Exactly. Because so Jamie sucks. It, it's, it's really great to see just Jamie's face just drop and not know what to say. Yeah. So it's great. Um, at the same time, Cersei's like, hey... Fine, I'll give you what you want after we win the war, right? Yeah, which is going to be interesting because I wonder if that's going to be the point where Jamie is going to turn on Cersei. At the same time, does Cersei even plan on really doing this? That's true. She could be She's so... She's just using him, right? ...conniving that she could just tell Euron, I'm not going to marry you and then get him killed. Yeah. The other thing we want to talk about Euron, obviously... The, and this leads into our next topic, the battle. What happened? Yeah, the Unsullied, they went over there to take over Casterly Rock. They went over there, and they had this great plan using Tyrion's, his old plans that he used to, to sneak his whores into Casterly Rock. And what happened? They got outsmarted by Jamie, right? Right. And in comes Euron ex machina <laughs> out of nowhere to save the day once again. Like, Cersei is just dominating this. And I thought the battle itself, yeah, for plot reasons, it looked pretty underwhelming. 
and Casterly Rock looked kind of lame. Those are my criticisms of the scene. But the fact that they shocked us once again that Cersei won the battle. I thought we were both positive that like, oh, next episode they'll be fine. I know. She's just gonna. They're just gonna stomp. stomp Casterly Rock. It was like watching the NBA Finals against with the top team, the number one team, and then going against a shitty opponent and the shitty opponent winning the first three games. Yeah. That's how I felt. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, it was just pretty surprising that um, they completely lost yeah. using Rob Stark's old strategy that Jamie essentially took shout out shout out to rob rest in peace (laughs) um he essentially stole that or quote learned from his previous experience but i mean it was a smart move on jamie's part so i thought it was different the voiceover that Tyrion did during the battle because when he was voicing it over i really thought that oh the unsullied were gonna win and then it was surprising when they didn't so the battle between the Unsullied and Lannister, I mean, I didn't really care for in the first place. So mm-hmm. fine, it was underwhelming, but I wasn't really, you know, all that Expecting in for much. a big battle. The one I, thing, I can wait for it. The one thing we both noticed is how it looked like a cheap version of Helm's Deep from yes. Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, with the, with the, the ladders, ladders going up. And then the arrows and then people falling from the ladders. It was exactly like Helm's Deep yeah. in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, even in Helm's Deep, they found a weak spot and right. went into it. Yeah, that was with the Olympic Torch Orc guy with the dynamite, <laughs> yeah. which was awesome. Instead, we get... Um, Just a sewer. <laughs> yeah, the Grey Worm going into the sewer. Yeah. Um, the battle obviously led into the trap, which was, hey, we're, the Lannisters weren't actually there. The Lannister army was actually attacking Highgarden and stomping the shit out of this terrible Tyrell army, apparently. Yeah. I what mean, happened I, to them? I, I don't know. I mean, I, were they always built up to be this terrible army? Was that said before in previous seasons? I didn't think so. But the way we logic through it, right, was that the Tarly family, maybe they held a big part of the army as well, and right. they turned on them. So Because I always thought the Tyrells had the second largest army after the too, Lannisters. Because they have the most money. Right. So you would think that they would be well-trained yeah. with such a large army. But maybe you're right. Randall Tarly is the lead general strategic warrior so maybe he did take half of the good people and left the army just with weaklings so yeah i mean we you got to think also tyrell's noblemen were all at the sept of baylor when it blew up so maybe their best generals were there you remember Mm -hmm. how how well mr tarley whatever his name was he looked in his great on his horse with his funny hat. <laughs> Mr. Tarly. I don't know what what's that guy's name. It's not even Tarly. It's Tyrell. <laughs> Mr. Tyrell. I don't understand why they change Osha's name and Asha's name, but, but then they, they keep have Tarleys Tarly and, Ty- and Tyrells. Just and a little Tyrions con- and oh, whatever. A little confusing. Um, a couple other things that I think you wanted to mention just about those three events that we talked about. John and Tyrion talking. Yes. So going back to the John and Danny encounter and overall scenes, I thought it was very, very interesting and very enjoyable enjoyable to see John and Tyrion talk um, when John was talking about how nobody would believe him and he was really sad and brooding and depressed and all of that jazz. I always love the continued jokes about John's brooding. <laughs> yes, and him and Tyrion failing at brooding over his failure. I just thought it showed that John, yes, while he is becoming a king and he has all this experience, he has all this strategy, he still learning he still needs advice he still is seeking answers because he just doesn't know how to prove to people that winter is here essentially so i just thought it was a very vulnerable moment for him and i think Tyrion, while he didn't have an an answer i think he saw he tried to help lead john to think right exactly so i think that was very important to watch and i just feel like john is like the boy who cried wolf no pun intended but throughout years and years the northerners are saying winter is coming whether that started in the literal meeting of white walkers are coming one day to now it's more of a metaphor but they've been saying winter is coming 
all of these years and now winter's finally here and nobody believes john it's so interesting to see what's gonna happen and he he has no way of proving it unless he brings a zombie or a dead guy's hand over but i mean they burn all the bodies so i mean there's one way to prove he tells them he shows them his scars and how he he came back to life but that but, has nothing to do with the white walkers yeah. that's more of lord or lord of light yeah so anyways. Uh. Anyways, Poor John. Brooding John. Brooding John. Always good to see him. Always good to see the chemistry between Tyrion and John again. It's it's like seeing old friends. Yeah, we haven't seen that right? since season that one. Was, that was cool. I really enjoyed yeah. that. And just having Tyrion see Davos again. They clearly respect people. each other. Yeah, sure. So, Which led to John winning the conversation between John Fine. and him and Fine. Daddy. Fine. All right. So, next segment. <laughs> Did you send the ravens? Your job, your only job. Send a raven. So we have a bunch of questions, and once again, we want to thank everybody with for the overwhelming response. I believe we got 20 plus questions, so this is gonna be a long segment, but we're gonna answer every single one of these questions. Cause look, people want to know our opinions, people want to know our breakdowns or jokes about these questions. So let's get to it. Uh, first question from Tina Cherian: Why doesn't Sansa just talk to Mira? about why her brother is such a weirdo now. Bran is the new Alexa. I should just go <laughs> ask Bran. Hey, Bran, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? It is cloudy. I've seen it in fragments. It's cloudy in the south, snowy in the north. <laughs> so, the other thing, he, I called him, he's like a robot. He, he is a robot. He's Bran 2D2. He is like Bran 3PO. He, he has like human-cyborg relations. He's like, I don't care about anything. I mean... That's what, that's what he said to Sansa, I pretty think, much. He's like, oh, you look so beautiful on that terrible, terrible night where you got raped by Ramsay Bolton. Okay, that so... That was... Yeah, he's creepy. And why doesn't Sansa just talk to Mira? Okay, Does Sansa even of, know who Mira is? First of all, She's probably like, who's this wildling girl? First of all, poor Mira has been dragging oh this God. teenage boy's ass for like how long? Almost got killed, lost her brother. So I think Mira needs to go take a long, hot bath, eat a long, hot meal before yeah. she talks to Sansa. So give her some time. I think Sansa didn't talk to Mira about her brother because obviously... Sansa wants some alone time with Bran. She hasn't seen him in six plus yeah. years. So, of course, she's going to go to her brother directly to catch up with him and see what the fuck is going on. So, we'll see what Sansa does next. I think with the whole conversation, does, she was a little disturbed. Does Mira even get a line the rest of the season? I don't know. She had Shout one, out to two Mira, lines. man. Like, the unsung hero, right? I was talking to this about talking to you guys about this before. She probably changed his fucking diapers. She probably, like, wiped his ass. She probably, like, did all this crazy stuff, like, to <laughs> to Bran. And nobody even acknowledges her? Shout out to Mira. We, we acknowledge you, Mira. I know. Poor Mira. Yeah. But she deserves all the best. So I think Sansa just needs to leave her alone for a while. So the next question from Annie Poor, another. Uh, this one is about Varys. Why did Varys threaten Melisandre and not to not go back to Dragonstone. I think because Varys doesn't like the Lord of the Light people or what they believe in yeah. and mainly has to do with him being castrated and losing his roots and stem. You like that by phrase. by a Lord of the Light priest. Yeah. So Overall, yeah, that was, when did they tell us that back in season? Season, I want to say it was after the Battle of the Blackwater, so season three. Three. So yeah, we all year. know, and they showed it also last year when that red priestess came to uh, where Daenerys was, Marine, mm -hmm. and Varys was essentially just told Tyrion straight up, "I hate." magic and i hate all this stuff so that's why he warned her he's like you get away from here i don't right. we don't we don't serve your kind here <laughs> right exactly uh yeah so keith Roddenbostel has a follow-up question about melisandre and varus please explain what the significance of that conversation was all about he looks surprised by the whole we we both gotta die here thing she said 
I had no idea what was going on, and he re- Keith refuses to read up on this. I mean, honestly, it's just Melisandre just looking at her fires. I don't know yeah. if she got confused with another bald guy in Westeros or whatnot, but I mean, she still looks yeah. at her fires. She still interprets it, so I'm pretty sure she was looking to see what exactly happens to all of Daenerys's advisors and followers she doesn't really tell lies she, she doesn't tell sometimes lies. interprets things wrong she makes grave but, mistakes yeah but also it could have been just to fuck with him too yeah it's true next question from rena Ilor. i think she asked this last week <laughs> where the hell is ghost so okay all right aside, we got a logic bomb here aside from you know the cgi is very expensive the way that i have it make sense in my head, Your head in the cannon. story yeah. is that for John, for this particular episode in this particular scene, he didn't want to bring Ghost because, you know, he hears of these dragons. He hears of this Dothraki oh. army. He hears of these unsullied. He doesn't want to bring Ghost because, first of all, those dragons can totally grab Ghost and eat him up. Honestly, right? So if I was John, I wouldn't bring my best friend. Well, he's not his best friend. He's not even around. <laughs> well, I wouldn't bring my ghost to this this meeting because right. I don't know what the dragons are going to do. I mean, maybe there aren't dragons. Maybe I'm not going to risk ghosts. I mean, you never know. Even the Dothraki, maybe they're hungry and maybe exactly. they eat wolves. I mean, right? dire wolves are supposed to be huge, but still. So I think the way that it makes sense in my head, I think he, John just doesn't want to risk ghost's life. He also wants to leave ghost with Sansa. Ghost likes the cold. He's comfortable in winter. He likes to hunt. He's a dire wolf. So John just wants to let him live his life. So then John will die letting him live his life. All right. John already died. That's true. (laughs) Thanks, Ghost. All right. Next up again, Tina Charian asks, why doesn't Danny just fly her dragon over the Red Keep and burn Cersei? That's what I, I say. So I say they've already plot explained this she doesn't want to straight up just burn down the castle because once the castle's on fire it's going to spread throughout king's landing and it's going to kill lots of people but we know from the preview preview spoilers she's like fuck all these clever plans let's just go burn these motherfuckers alive so tina you're going to get what you want it's coming we don't know if she's going to burn cersei but she's definitely going to go burn some people i mean i was having this discussion with joe earlier my thing is, I know the dragons are smart creatures. Yes. So, and Daenerys have, has some sort of control with them. If you go back to season six, when in the Battle of Marine, they essentially just burned that one boat. Mm-hmm. But the dragons didn't burn anywhere else in the city or all the other boats. So why, my question, I guess, back is why can't Daenerys... Do that same... Like laser targeted, like fire? Not laser target, but somehow control or contain the chaos. Well, here's what... Like she did in that battle. Here's the response to that. Number one, the boat battle was on water, right? If you burn one boat down, it's not going to burn all the boats around it. Mm-hmm. When you're firing down, raining down fire on land in a castle, the fire will spread. These, these dragons can't suck the fire back up and it'll spread like chaos, like wildfire. Right. Well, and you can't control that because it's fire, right? Well, well, at this point, people are dying anyways and not to be so morbid, but I just think at this point, Daenerys really has everything to lose. She already lost half her army. So she yeah. needs to take them dragons and go to freaking King's Landing and burn the shit out of them. Daenerys is down. Before they build those stupid arrows, too. Oh, God. Let's not get started about these fabled crossbows <laughs> that are likely going to take down one of the... I know. One of the, the stupid dragons. Um, Daenerys is down three to one. She's got to bring out her trump card. Yeah. She's got to bring out her dragons, and she's going to let that happen next episode. Good. I'm next, all for it. From Blake Friedman, he asks or tells... The Lannisters knew that there's no technical significance to Casterly Rock. Why didn't Tyrion? Honestly, this is a big misstep from Tyrion, and it's because he's Tyrion wanted vengeance. I, I truly think that he wanted to take what he believed was the pride of the Lannister family, take back Casterly Rock. And he thought that that would actually 
affect Cersei and Jaime. But Cersei and Jaime, they are not their father. They are not Tywin. They don't really care about Casterly Rock, and he completely miscalculated that. I actually disagree with that. I think the reason why Tyrion targeted Casterly Rock is because he underestimated Jaime's plan and essentially taking half the army there. He thought the bulk of the Lannister army was going to be at Casterly Rock. By taking them out using the Unsullied, that cuts Cersei's army significantly. So I think also Casterly Rock has a lot of gold, and they also had you know, probably a lot of food. So by taking over that area allows a huge advantage for Daenerys. But he just didn't know that Jaime was going to take all the food, all of the gold, all of the majority of the Lannister army elsewhere. So he just underestimated that. That goes along with what I was saying. It just shows that he expected them to care about Casterly Rock. Right and and keep the gold, keep the army, keep the food there. Tyrion expected that, but right. he miscalculated. We're we're saying the same thing. Yeah, but because, I just think that he thought Casterly Rock, Casterly Rock was a strategic place to take. Not that he wanted that he was trying to take the pride of the Lannister family down. All right, fair. Okay. <laughs> Uh, next question from Tina Cherry, and again, I think this is our third or fourth question. <laughs> Shout out, Tina. Uh, is Danny going to feed Tyrion to her dragons now that everything has gone to hell? Hopefully. Yeah, that's not a lot of food it's, for the dragons, It's not going, <laughs> that's true. It's not going well. Uh, she won't feed him, but he deserves to be in the dungeons I mean, or I think Daenerys at this point, she tried to not be the Queen of Ashes, and she now knows what that cost is to her, so... Gold star for Tyrion for trying to keep everything civil. But at this point, I think she needs to do what she needs to do. All right. From Carly Hess, she says, I don't know if you've already answered this or if it's too trite for the quality of our podcast. Thanks. Thanks for calling our podcast quality. We appreciate (laughs) that. Uh, But if you could be part of any house, which house would you be? I can, so, ass- I can guess yours. Well, d- so this question's loaded because I'm wondering, is it based on what has happened to that house or just what ha- what house no. I really think is think pretty about, badass and Think cool. about what the house stands for, not what has happened to them, because you can't pick the Tyrells because they're dead. Mm-hmm. But the Tyrells stood for, what is it, honor? Growing strong. Growing strong, some lame shit so like that. So being strong And then the... Stark stand for honor, duty, and being prepared for shit. Honor, duty is Tully's. Whatever. <laughs> being prepared for shit. Okay. Winter's I, coming. So I'm, go with the core belief of the family. I'm going to go with House Stark because I like to plan. I like to think about the future. I like to be prepared. So that's my mantra. Winter is coming. And also, House Stark is, has... The cool dire wolves. I want a dire wolf. I'm going to go with the Lannisters because I have a great credit score. I usually pay off my credit cards every <laughs> month. Oh and I have God. no other response because I probably would want to be House Stark otherwise. I guess you're super rich, right? No, I didn't say that. I just say mm-hmm. I pay my debts. Sure. All except right. my student loans. Okay. Which I'm still working on. <laughs> just like Cersei's working with the Iron yeah, Bank. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So in a fortnight, are you going to pay off your student loans? A couple fortnights. <laughs> All right. Keith is back with another question. Where the hell is Daenerys going to get ships now? Hey, Keith, to steal a quote from Back to the Future, even though it's kind of not, where she's going, she don't need no boats, bruh. She's going straight to the sky. She's going to burn these motherfuckers down. Nobody needs any, any boats anymore. Come on. Yeah. Westeros is land. She's just going to fly over everything and just burn everything to the ground. Exactly. Let's do it. it. Who needs boats? Euron. Yeah. He's essentially winning. Staying away from boats, that means you stay away from Euron, the ultimate mad genius of all of Westeros, but he's only powerful when he's in his boat. Yeah. Right? That boat that teleports, it goes the speed of light. Next time I see Euron in his boat, I want to play I'm on a boat. How has nobody made that music video I yet? I don't know. Right? All right, that's our next project. Yep. Cool. 
All right, Roxy Stone has a question here. Do you guys think Gendry is ever coming back? Oh, wow. She says, yes, he is a true Baratheon, but Ian, her husband, says he's gone for good. The reason she asks is because things are moving into place. Sansa will run Winterfell, while Jon and Danny will rule over King's Landing. Gendry will take over Storm's End, which hasn't been mentioned in like three to four years yes. of the show. I actually get confused between <laughs> Storm's End and Dragonstone yeah, for some and, reason. And there will be peace. Is Gendry going to come back? No. I have not heard of Gendry since season three when he got leeches on all over his body. And then he started rowing his boat. And he started yeah. rowing his boat because Davos sent him away. So I don't know if he's still rowing. I just feel like there was no mention of him. There's no built up to him. Like if they were going to bring him back, I just feel like somebody would have mentioned it somewhere. Yeah. The People, only- he's not. He's not. A prevalent character like the Hound. Yeah. So the only place for me that has room for him to come back because I personally think it would be really kind of cheap if he came back to be some kind of king. He would be cool to join the the Hound All Star team, the Brotherhood, because he was already kind of part of them. Like he was cool with that crew. And hey, maybe they'll recruit him, go to the north, and uh, go to the east watch by the bay and fight some white walkers and he can join join that all-star i just don't team. see a place for yeah, Gendry. I, don't... I think he's too small of a character for him to come back and do something significant at, at the same time they have been fulfilling fan service so maybe but did people really love Gendry? people ask about Gendry. yeah because that was that's kind of a loose end that hasn't exactly. been tied up but do people really? I'm sure there's a lot more other characters fans would like to see come back. Come back, Benjen. Why are you, Benjen? Are you just like, hey, I'm just gonna stay here. I'm to gonna do Benjen's what I can. Oh, by the way, since we didn't have a podcast last year, do you guys remember Benjen when he left them at the wall and took the only horse? <laughs> Poor like, Mira. <laughs> Mira had to carry Bran's stupid body, like all the way down to the wall, and Benjen's like. Yo, I'm out of here, and I'm taking this horse. Peace. Why? What else is Benjen going to do? He needs a horse, though. Dude, he can't just walk. Benjen is undead. He doesn't get tired. He could probably run super fast. Like, haven't you seen the other White Walkers? You know what? Benjen's like, fuck it. I'm half dead. I don't give a fuck anymore. DGAF. All right. Dave Gamblin asks, what impact does Euron's return and Olena's revelations have on Jamie? When will both of you be all aboard the Jamie Lannister train? Choo-choo! I will never be on the Jamie Lannister train anymore because he sucks. Jamie Lannister, they they keep trying to feed him these times where he can be nice. He even had a little bit of it when he gave poison to Elena instead of torturing her or whatever. I think Jamie at this it's point It's really is, upsetting. I think They've Jamie ruined at this, his arc. Right. I think he's too, too far gone. He even admits it in the conversation with Elena that I, you know, am perhaps perhaps am too far gone or whatnot. So I think at this point, I agree I won't be part of this Jamie Lannister train until he actually does something that isn't just having sex with Cersei. So, or stealing Rob Stark's strategy. So, I think at this point, Jamie's just... Even even if he does it, I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to forgive him for all like, these other like things. Like we said before, even if he does it, it's going to be quick. It's going to be one episode, maybe a couple of scenes. So, it has, it has a, a viewer, I'm not going to have time to, you know... Be like, oh, Jamie, you've changed. No, I'm, I'm, it's gonna be very quick, and be like, well, that was it. I will if he does turn on Cersei, and maybe it is like you said because maybe Cersei's like, fine, I'll marry you, Euron, and that's the only thing Jamie actually cares about is staying with Cersei. If he t- does turn on her finally and like stabs her, like we've been saying. I'll be like, well, finally. It's not exactly. like it's not like, oh, Jamie, you're the hero that we were all waiting for. No, it's like, oh, finally, you coward, you gutless piece of shit. Right. Right. I mean, he's weak sauce at this yeah. point. He's so blinded Super. by Cersei and the idea sauce. of love for her that he just can't he can't get out of it. Yeah. All right. This next question is from Kelsey Gamblin. Uh we see Tyrion's master plan falling apart and teasing to Danny's frustration in the next episode. Is this because Tyrion is playing against master tier strategists 
Jamie and Cersei, or is Tyrion just too self-assured? Well, I think Tyrion's just too self-assured. I think he's really confident, and he yeah. totally again he underestimated Jamie and Cersei. C- Cersei, sorry. We keep going back and forth. Cersei. So I think he's just he he <laughs> again thought Casterly Rock was going to be a strategic point to take over, and he didn't think about as Littlefinger says, all of the different scenarios that you should be playing in your head. Everywhere is a battle. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about Littlefinger. So, that dude is on some acid. <laughs> He's like, bro, you got to take this, and then you got to play every battle in your head. Talk about paranoia. I'm like, just think about everything in the world that's <laughs> happening in fragments. Can you imagine if Littlefinger was a three-eyed raven? Oh, God. Um, in terms of master tier strategist, no, Jamie is not a master tier strategist. He stole Rob Stark's strategy. Exactly. He's like, hey, this 18-year-old kid beat me this one time in this in this big battle. Let's just use ape that strategy. I mean, he did say he learned yeah. from his mistakes. But, Tyrion- but yeah, that was totally Rob Stark's strategy. I will I will shout out to Jamie saying that he does have a lot more battle experience and battle planning experience than Tyrion. He's been leading these armies much longer and Tyrion yeah he's very very smart very cunning but in terms of actual battle and war planning he's not there he's he's better at the political game he doesn't have the experience that Jamie had clearly so that's why he essentially lost yeah all right Joe McNeely asks what essential skill do you think Sam will be learning by copying down all those scrolls and manuscripts. I actually think it might seem like those weren't a reward, like Sam was expecting a reward. I actually have a feeling that in those scrolls, some of that stuff might be the stuff that Sam's looking for. I think Professor Slughorn, he pretended not to be helping him out, but he actually laid down all the old scrolls, probably of the White Walkers, probably of the Dragonglass, and all these other things Sam wants to know. And Sam will realize it as he's copying it all down. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about that. I just thought he was getting punished. We'll see if I'm wrong. And it was a boring scene again. Yeah. Another boring Sam Boring Sam. Ugh. Okay. Um, Kelsey Gamlin has another question. She says, also... Did Sam have to pass a penmanship test before being accepted into the Citadel? I think the only thing that he had to learn how to pass was cleaning up shit and doing it right. I think that they don't have any tests to be accepted into the Citadel because they were like, no females allowed. And then later on you see Sam gets to sleep in the same room as Gilly for no reason. Well, maybe he snuck her in. You really think so? I mean, whatever. No, he's care. like, Gilly, go wait in the library. They know No, but he, he's in a house, isn't he? Oh, he's in the same building? Yeah, I think oh. so. So I don't think the Citadel is very strict. Um, they also let people with grayscale in, even though it's the most <laughs> infectious disease in it's the world. It's a hospital. You're not supposed to turn away people. This is not like <laughs> the American healthcare system. This is, this is Westeros. And these guys are all snobs. Why do they want to let this stranger in with Grace? I guess they were trying to kick him out, though. Exactly. All right. All right. Um, Tina Cherian asks, John had no plan except to tell Danny that there were White Walkers. Why didn't he bring proof? You still know nothing, Jon Snow. Well, I think we acknowledged this before. He doesn't have any proof. I mean, think about what he what would he bring as proof. Anytime he ever killed a zombie person or undead, he burned them or left them to run away. And when he killed the White Walker, they essentially exploded into pieces. So I don't see how he could bring any proof. They obviously don't have technology to take pictures. I mean, at the so least. at that point, there is no proof. I don't. He can't bring a head because the head will be like still alive. And if he's going to bring a hand, but again, is he going to go out past the wall, try to kill someone and then bring it as proof? That's not worth it. Yeah, I was trying to think of anybody he could bring that Tyrion knew or trusted that saw White Walker, but it was all wildlings. It was all, like, Night's Watchmen. And Tyrion, I think, Tyrion does believe Jon. He believes him because of Jon and because of Mormont, Jorah Mormont. 
wrote a letter back in season one to King's Landing saying that there are White Walkers here. So I'm pretty sure Tyrion read that letter. Yeah, he believes, so, but not enough to tell Daenerys, yeah, go for it. But he did end up telling Until Daenerys, end, yeah. so... Only because it's going to broker a nice relationship. Yeah, I just think there's no there's no way John could bring any proof. And that's why he was so defeated when he yeah. was talking to Tyrion. That was one scene that I really liked when he's talking to Tyrion and he's like, if I told you guys, if I was hearing this story and then he realizes like, yeah, I wouldn't believe myself either. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was a really good scene. And I want to shout out actually Kit Harington's acting overall. I think he's much better this season. And I think... Most of us agree that early on in the series, he wasn't the best actor, but I think he has truly risen to the occasion in terms of fulfilling the role of Jon Snow, and I can't really see anybody else playing Jon Snow. No, not at all. Even if you cast any of the other actors in this show and you put them into Jon Snow's character, I think he pulls off the broody but reluctant hero very well. Yep. All right, the next couple questions are about Bran. Uh, Lara Andrukovs asks, do we think Bran's return means Jon will find out that he and Daenerys are related? Uh, I think this is obvious because I love this line from Bran. He's, <laughs> she's like, Sansa's like, I wish Jon was here. He's like, yeah, I got to talk to that guy. <laughs> I, I, I got, I, there's something I know. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting gonna happen. how he uh, communicates it to Jon. Since he's so robotic, is he going to be like, John, your mother is Lyanna Stark. Your father is Rhaegar Targaryen. And I am your cousin. Like, it's going to be like, John's going to be like, what? And, and the then- weather in Winterfell is 32 degrees <laughs> Celsius, expected snowstorms all through the next hundred years. Would you like to buy something on Amazon.com? So I, 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 I do think John will find out through brand but at the same time please don't tell me a crypt theory or some <laughs> other like weird theory i was actually thinking and joe totally shot down this 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 theory or whatever it's not really a theory but i i think the dragons at dragonstone definitely felt something I a little bit weird because when John says that he's not a Stark and then Drogon flies immediately afterwards, I think we talked about yeah. it. It was definitely on the nose. But I think it was, they definitely feel something. They have a connection with Daenerys. I think they feel some sort of connection or some sort of. Well, they just sense him. Sense, yeah. So that there is some, there is someone else there so i'm interested so i was thinking what if you know john and this dra- a dragon ragel to be specific is has a little moment and then Tyrion's like hmm that's weird yeah but it's probably through gonna be through bran that he finds out so the next two questions kind of go hand in hand um gus moreno asks why does bran sound like a yoga teacher now uh and roxy stone says R plus J, please give us your thoughts. I'm saying Bran is an asshole now, and he's insensitive towards his sister, bringing up bad memories and not really hugging her. Ian says he's beyond emotion because he's a three-eyed raven. He is Buddha. I agree with Ian. I think because he knows everything, he's seen everything that's happened to his family. He's probably, A, traumatized. B, he needs to know to detach from emotion because he knows what's going to happen. He knows the past. He knows what's happening in the present. He knows what's going to happen in the future. So he can't get too emotionally invested. And also, I think he's still trying to figure out because he even says that I only see fragments. I see pieces. I need to learn more. So he, again has become this computer who's well, trying to analyze all of the information. I think it's not just that. I think he's like a yoga teacher. He's very zen because he sees how insignificant one moment in time is. The fact mm-hmm. that he can see back tens to thousands to hundreds of thousands of years in the past and possibly in the future makes him realize that one little moment doesn't matter. So that's, that's my explanation on why he's so zen and and i don't think he brought up the sansa wedding night and that whole experience to be an asshole i think he needed to show her that or prove to her in a way that 
I, because she basically was like, I don't understand what you're She's saying. Like, I don't, I don't you. know what any of this means. So the way that he explained it to her, sadly, was saying, well, I was, I know what you're wearing on your wedding night. I know it was a hard time for you. I know it was snowing exactly. Like only she knows that detail yep. because anyone else who was at that wedding other than Theon is probably dead because it was all Boltons. If you think about it, that was the quickest, most efficient way to prove what he could do to exactly right what he knows so that's why he did that yeah so. scott roberts asks so like does no navy in the entire game of thrones universe have lookouts sitting on top of any of the ships to alert anyone that euron's giant fleet is approaching in the distance clearly not so i have a rant about this little things like this are, to me, what keeps Game of Thrones from being a perfect series. This is the best example to me of the little logic tests that Game of Thrones doesn't pass. Like, there are times, I I can't really think of any other ones, but this truly encapsulates it where it doesn't pass the sniff test. It's like, wait, really? Or like the wolves. Mm -hmm. Why aren't the wolves there? Even beyond monetary reasons, you can't just have some dog in the background that kind of looks like it. Little things like that. That, to me, especially these lookouts and mm-hmm. you're on just coming out of nowhere, that's it's poor writing. Yeah. And it, it's, it's upsetting. We love Game of Thrones, but we're not so blind to see that it doesn't have flaws. It does have flaws, and this truly is one of them. And they just need to tighten it up a little bit. That's what we talked about. We loved in the first couple seasons, probably because it was so book-driven, that it was tight and concise and it had everything locked down. Well, let me play devil's advocate and say how it might make sense Mm -hmm. in another way. Maybe they just, again, underestimate Euron at this point. All of the Greyjoy ships are gone. All of the majority of the Dorne ships are gone. So Daenerys, the only ships that she has is in Dragonstone. So like, who else is Euron fighting other than those two? Who else is going to be on the lookout and report back no, to Daenerys? He's saying sitting on top of the boats at the top of the mast. You're supposed to have somebody looking out into the distance with a telescope. So, but then and, he, is he going to run to the Unsullied at that moment and warn them? They're already at Casterly Rock. They're well, not going to have time. Yeah, you should have horns. That's what how it works in the Navy and boats. At that point, though, fine. They... They warn him, but the Unsullied is already Okay, so what, what about the Greyjoys who got attacked? Wow. Who are supposed to be the most fearsome navy in the world? Well, that was only they a also hundred had no lookouts, ships. Lookouts? And that was at night. I guess you're right. Nobody looked out for the iceberg, so. But the thing is, you're on Greyjoy's boat is silent. So he also That's has just da- the name of it. He has da- dark black sails. sails. And no, the boat is silent. In the previous episode, it was it was floating away silently. Like it's, it, it's not. It's very quiet. So there so must it's be a stealth boat. It's a stealth boat. Well, exactly. In the daytime, a black sail would be easily visible to somebody even without a telescope, and they should have warning signals. So the fact that we have to try to logic our way through, like brute force logic our way through this, just proves that Game of Thrones has flaws. Sometimes it has bad writing. Okay, fine. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. All right. So Joe McNeely asks, how long until Cersei sends Euron on a suicide mission and then he succeeds anyway? Then when he kills Jaime, you know that they're playing up this conflict already. What will Cersei do to him? Well, I don't think Euron would ever kill Jaime. I don't think the plot would ever allow to that. Euron, while he's entertaining and he's a bad guy, he's threatening. We, I think we can all agree he's not going to play into the end game. No, like, I the think end he's of the day, definitely disposable. Yeah, totally. For sure. I think Euron is going to bring certain p- pieces together, accomplish a lot for Cersei to get her. Has she, she? He's already had a major player a player against Daenerys, but I don't think he's going to do anything that significant where he. kills a major character yeah the next question from gus moreno who makes it back to danny first gray worm or jorah gray worm's gonna die you think so yes he's being sieged over there exactly they have no food they're gonna eat each other (laughs) jorah (laughs) is definitely going to 
Well, I should say definitely. Jora is, you know, when he needs to find Daenerys, he finds her. If you were, so I think he is definitely going to get to her first versus Grey Worm. Yeah, I agree with Jora. But if you were Danny, would you give him a hug? Yes. Yes. He's completely healed. <laughs> what? Daenerys loves Jora. So if I had grayscale and you had to send me away. And you got healed? Yeah, and you like looked. <laughs> well, I would just make sure you're fully clothed. I, just, <laughs> I don't think Daenerys wants to see Jora without a shirt anyway. That's true. So. Friend zone. Friend zone for life. <laughs> oh, Jora. All right, Kelsey Gamblin, we're almost done. We have the last two questions. Joint question from Kelsey Gamblin and Monse Moreno. What is the point of Cersei's reign? How do you see this playing out given that she has no heirs and the prophecy does not foresee her having any more kids? Monse Moreno asks, and who gets the throne when she dies? I don't think she's really looking at big picture. She admits in the first episode when Jamie questions her that we what, why are you doing this? We don't have any heirs. She basically says that she's doing it for us. At this point, she's power hungry. She thrives on the power. She thrives on being queen. So this is just, this is what she likes now. She's not really thinking beyond yeah. any of this. She's not thinking beyond her life after this. She's not thinking, she doesn't really have anything after this. Well, think about it. Just like the Mad King. She's the Mad Queen. Her goals are vengeance and fury and winning and right. that's it there's right. no end game it's just that so there really isn't a point of cersei's reign in the larger picture or for all the people that she's really over yep. but it's she's selfish it's just for her so assuming that she wins this game of thrones and when she dies who would get the throne not jamie would it be a, like a, a lannister cousin a, or something yeah it's like essentially the, what happened when the tire when she blew up the sept. She somebody maybe somebody will proclaim themselves king, queen or king. But I feel like what I don't, I guess I don't know how legacy works, but I I personally feel like it would be if all went without somebody rebelling and say I'm the king. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would go to like a cousin or yeah. something like some lame cousin yep. like Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran's not Ed a Sheeran. Lannister. He just fights for the Lannisters. Well, he's dead. <laughs> he still has that. Arya still has his face. She's Arya's got his face. Shit. We're going to see in the next episode Ed Sheeran walking around. All right. So thanks for all those questions. Uh, thanks for sticking in with us through this segment. Uh, and now we're on to the next one. The king in the north. The MVP of the episode. So the MVP of the episode is Olena Tyrell. The king in the north! So even though she died, she completely won that scene and won that conversation. She was still, still had all the charm. She basically ad- confessed or admitted in her own way that she is the one who killed Joffrey. She had the last word mm-hmm. and she had it her way. She died without pain. And I'm sad to see her go. I really, really enjoyed every moment she had on this series. So, you know, I'm glad that she didn't die in a painful way, but I think she won. I think she won by dying. The funny thing is, not just from this episode, but think about who the last person she talked to other than Jamie was. Daenerys. Mm -hmm. And what did she tell Daenerys to do? Be the dragon. Don't listen to all these Which is what's about to happen, right? Yep. So she is double MVP there. Um, At the same time, I have to disagree. My personal MVP is the guy who kills Olena. Jamie Lannister. But you just you but why? Because he single-handedly won this episode with his master planning. But he stole Rob Stark's strategy. Stealing a strategy still means you win. If a president co-ops a strategy from a previous winning president, they still win the election, right? Fine. Right? Donald Trump or something? I yeah, but it just wasn't a very original Yeah, plan. sure, it's not original, but winning is winning. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. That's why John won the Daenerys conversation. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> winning is winning. So Jamie, he had the plan to sacrifice Casterly Rock, thanks, Rob Stark. He had the plan to attack Highgarden. He had the plan to utilize the Tarleys against Highgarden. And that led to them going up three to one in this best of seven NBA finals of the Game of Thrones universe. And so to me, that means he's the MVP of the episode. All right. And wrapping this episode up, it's time for... Dracarys. 
the super hot Dragonfire hot take of the day. So my Dragonfire hot take of the day is I actually, this is a little strange (laughs) and odd, but I will admit, I'm hoping Tyrion and Sansa actually get together and stay married. I know it's weird and that she's a little bit younger than him, but now that she's older and grown up and more experienced, I actually was rooting for them back in the day just because Tyrion treated her very nicely and just because he definitely wasn't the person that Sansa ever thought she would get married to or be attracted to. So I think it would be very poetic and it'd be very, very a happy ending that she ends up with such a nice guy. So I I actually want them to reunite, get together and stay married and maybe have some kids together. I feel like that's not a hot take. That's like a rom-com take. (laughs) It's not a rom-com take. All right. I'm just saying. Well, mine is much hotter than that. It actually is icy hot. It is that... Okay, Shaq. (laughs) The White Walkers should win, and they are the good guys, because all... Look at these... Just like John said, look at these children squabbling. Are you calling me a child? (laughs) Look at these children squabbling and killing each other and doing terrible things to each other. No, come on. The White Walkers are the good guys. The Lord of Light is supposedly the good one, like bringing Jon Snow back to life. No, he is fire and death and brimstone. He's the devil. The White Walkers are pure and clean like ice, and they're coming to cleanse this earth. They're not going to Essos for some reason. They're only going to Westeros, but they're here to wipe the slate clean, stop global warming, you know, and (laughs) just... Sounds like a different movie. (laughs) And just make sure... That Earth is safe from all these terrible, terrible What about people. all of the children, all of the babies, all they, of the innocent They get people. to survive as White Walker toddlers. Yes, I would love to see that kindergarten <laughs> class learning how to kill other humans. So that's my hot take, and it's been something that I've secretly been cheering for for a couple of years now, and I hope it's true that the White so Walkers... So you want the win. White Walkers to win this entire yeah, because battle even, of the world? Because even if the humans win at the end, there's still going to be some like annoying bastard like close to the throne. Like Littlefinger <laughs> will su- survive, or Jamie's <laughs> stupid ass will survive near the end, or I don't know some. But what about bastard. all of the good people, all of the innocent people? Nobody's innocent in the Game of Thrones. All right, Night King. Well, that's the perfect ending to this episode, and we'd like to thank you for listening. Um, Continue to send your your questions to us after every episode. Continue to listen. We thank you once again so much for all of your support, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.